Thank you for joining us today for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays. Sitting with me is Jay Jones, and this is Text Driven Tuesday. Good morning. Good morning. Got a lot to talk about. Uh, you picked up the Gospel of John again, chapter mm-hmm. 19. We got a lot to talk about. But first, today is All Saints Day. Yeah. You ever think about All Saints Day, Jay? Uh, not really. I don't know. Maybe should I? Should I be thinking about it? You know, it's thoroughly Catholic, but I think that we can redeem it. You think so? I think so. Okay. Tell I me think how. so. Uh, especially, you know, Martin Luther, he nailed his 95 theses to the, the door on the on October 31st on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't just some random day. He He picked... All Hallows Eve, uh-huh. All Saints Day Eve, to do it because it was uh, a day when, so it was a holy day. Okay, so he knew a lot of people would see it. They'd be out and about. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. But I think uh, you know, as Protestants, remembering the Reformation, we kind of already were celebrating All Saints Day uh, yesterday. We were remembering Martin Luther. We were remembering. Ulrich Zwingli, John Calvin, um, Tyndale, John Knox—you know these guys that are are giants of the faith that we owe a lot to. Uh-huh. And so I think that um, rather than just completely writing off All Saints Day as well, it's just a Catholic holiday. Yeah, I think it's good for us to remember where we count, where we come from. Yeah. And to remember the saints that have come before us. Uh-huh. Not in a way of, you know, quote unquote, venerating them. Right, right. right? We don't pray to them. We just venerate them. <laughs> mm-hmm. But remembering, remembering that we're not the first Christians on this earth mm-hmm. and we won't be the last. And we owe a, we owe a debt we to do, yeah, these yeah. saints that have come before us. Yeah, yeah. George, you're free to celebrate. As long as you don't turn it into the Day of the Dead Festival. That's right. (laughs) You know about the Day of the Dead Festival? Yeah. It's in Latin America, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it's a European thing. I think it's like a, uh, I think it's one of those Catholic syncretism deals. It seems that way. Where they combine Mm -hmm. some Aztec holiday surrounding the dead. They they do those big parades. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see you in here with a Bones costume on dancing around. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Other than that, I guess uh, you're, you're free. I to make remember I make no day. I make no promises, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> I just think about it every year. You know, as as Baptists, especially growing up, I didn't hear very much about the history of of being a Baptist. Baptists aren't 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 a pro- Protestant. That's George. right. <laughs> I saw that. There, someone tweeted that yesterday. Baptists aren't Protestant. Oh, I, really? I just went. <laughs> no way. I'm not even saying anything. Well, <laughs> I didn't run into that really until I got down here. Really? Southwest Oklahoma, there's there is a there's a strong um landmark influence. Yeah. That trail of blood that there's this unbroken succession of Baptist churches from John the Baptist down to down to today. And they they um they throw out all kinds of different sects that arose throughout church history. And if you look at a lot of them, they're, they're not, they're not, 
you wouldn't recognize them as They're Baptist in any sense of or the word. Or even Christian. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I think that as Baptists, we often forget we're not the we're not the first we're not the first Baptist to show up. Um, we we do have a long heritage mm-hmm. of Baptist, and then going back to the Puritans yeah. and the Reformers, and then going back to the early church. Um, there are there are saints from two thousand years that we benefit from. Mm-hmm. Um, they preserved the gospel they they preached and transmitted the gospel um you know many of these early christians were copying the bible and ensuring that future generations had it and we yeah we stand on the shoulders of giants um i think that it was goodness i think that i read that if you use a modern translation upwards of like 70 percent of it is tyndale tyndale's translation yeah. into english mm-hmm I mean, we we owe a debt of gratitude. We've got English Bibles. We, yeah, we owe a debt of gratitude. We should we should thank God for the saints that have come before us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we should. My favorite comment under <clears throat> that tweet says Baptists aren't Protestant was uh, to not be Protestant. You IFBs seem to protest everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got a good chuckle out of that. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into John chapter nineteen. We've got uh, some things to talk about. It was your uh, your Reformation Day sermon, yeah, which just happened to be this text. Yeah, yeah. Someone says if you planned it. Hmm. When I when I, my rotation was coming up, I was like, oh, I'm starting on Reformation Day. Let me see about doing a Reformation Day sermon because we do we've done that mm-hmm. before. And then I just started looking back where I'm picking up in John, and I was like. I'll just go with John. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> There's your Reformation Day sermon. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was uh, it was a text that was picked out for you. Yeah, <laughs> so that's good. Yeah. All right. So we're picking up. Where are we picking up in the story in John 19? It's been a little while. What what's yeah. uh, remind us, refresh us on uh, what's going on? Okay. So John and <clears throat> where we're at in this in Jesus's life is he's last time where we talked. What we discussed was his leaving kind of the upper room area, taking his disciples to the garden, and him being arrested. So he's arrested. We went all through that arrest, and then him being brought before Caiaphas, and that exchange there, the, the little false false trial. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like they're trying to get him to confess something uh, before it's official. <clears throat> we talked about the high priesthood, all that stuff. Uh, those particulars of the background and the history. Then they take him to the person who has the authority to actually put him to death in the land legally, which is what they're what they're wanting. They're wanting a crucifixion. So they take him to Pontius Pilate. And there, Pontius Pilate, we went through that exchange and we saw numerous times where he says he's not guilty. He doesn't want to do it, but they apply pressure. They apply pressure, political pressure, by threatening to pretty much tell that um, Pontius Pilate's no friend of Caesar, which would be the end of him, maybe even literally, like he'd be done politically, but maybe even killed. There's no, like, tolerate, uh, there's no, these these emperors are very paranoid, so any whiff of any disloyalty, and you're done. So they they kind of threaten him, you're no friend of Caesar. So finally he brings him out, you know, and, and he's like, uh, behold your king. And the the sad 
I think it's one of the saddest comments. They say, we have no king but Caesar. they demanding crucifixion. He says, shall I crucify your king? They say, no, we have no king but Caesar. So our text picks up where they hand, where, where Pontius Pilate hands Jesus over to the squad of soldiers to have him crucified. Okay, so this is going to be all about the crucifixion. Yeah, this is the last six hours of his life. Okay, so why is this a, a good Reformation Day sermon? Why did you look at this and you said, this is my text? Yeah, uh, because of what he says uh, on the cross at, at, the, uh, at the end, right before he dies. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, um, And that brings up what happened, like what happened at the cross. Right. So the heart of the Reformation or the central, the, the most important, there's a lot of things that came out of the Reformation, but like what it was really all about was uh, salvation by faith alone in Christ. Apart from works, and, and Luther has said, you know, this is the cardinal uh, doctrine upon which the church stands stands or falls, famously. But if you ask one more question, why is salvation in faith alone, in Christ alone? Why is this the central component of the Reformation, the most important thing? Um, then you're getting at the heart of the gospel, because mm-hmm. you're asking the question, why does salvation by faith alone, like, why does it work? biblically does or does it work biblically or yeah. is it something luther just made up right right uh, and in order to answer that question you have to ask the question what happened when jesus died is he actually doing something right so is jesus and kind of how i framed it is is jesus dying to save people or is he dying to make people savable mm-hmm. right and uh, kind of the illustration um, that I use to get people kind of thinking about it, because a bridge, you know, the bridge, there's a bridge illustration used in evangelism all the time by evangelicals. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, so I said, okay, so let's imagine this, uh, what happened at the cross. The Catholics would say Jesus died on the cross for sins, right? And But what that what that does, what he did was that enables God to infuse you with grace so you receive the righteousness of Christ only in the capacity that it enables you to then start erecting your bridge across this chasm to God. Mm-hmm. Like you're separated by God. To, you're, you and God are separated. You're alienated <laughs> from one another by your sin. There's a great chasm that exists. But when Christ dies, he now has infused with you the ability to erect your own bridge. And the materials you would use for that bridge are all the sacraments of the church. Mm-hmm. And so you go about your life trying to repent of sin and trying to live righteously, and as you accumulate righteousness, you get like a block, right? right. Here's another block. Here's another block. Your bridge is being built, and but one life's not enough, so they have purgatory. Right. And it may take you a million years in purgatory to build your bridge. Mm-hmm. Finally, when you cross the bridge, you're justified. And the there's that view, the Catholic view. Then there's like more than half probably of Protestants believe this this idea that yeah, there's this great chasm, but when Jesus died on the cross, he built a bridge to God. The bridge is there, and now you just gotta go go walk across it. Mm-hmm. It's right there for you. Right. So go go and get it. Go get your salvation. Walk across the bridge. You didn't say it, but this is the Arminian view, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's the Arminian view, but I think it's also the view of those that would say, I'm not Calvinist or Arminian. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's there for you. It's there right. for you. Right. The, uh, or the, uh, the provisionist. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the provisionist view, right? Right. Jesus, Jesus, by his death, made provision for salvation, but you have to take a hold of it. Yeah. He, that, that is the, the provision. Prior view. to his death, you weren't savable. Mm-hmm. You were only condemned. But now, in his death, he's made you savable. Right. And then the, I think the biblical position is, yeah, there's this great chasm. Jesus dies. Um, his death builds a bridge to, to God, between man and God, on your behalf. But you're still laying on one side of the bridge, dead in your sins. Mm-hmm. So dead people can't get up and walk across a bridge or claim anything. So Jesus comes as grace and his mercy, and he bends down, like in Genesis, and he breathes the breath of life into your lungs. This is the Holy Spirit's regeneration. Mm-hmm. You come alive... Right, you're spiritually alive, though still living in a fallen world, and in a fallen human body, and so you are like still broken to some degree, right? You're alive but broken, and so you start. Jesus then picks you up off the ground, throws. Um, he'll take one of your arms, throw it around his neck, and he'll grab you by the waist and start walking with you, and you start to walk across the bridge, which is Christ. So the more you walk into Christ the less you start limping. And by the time you make it to the very end, you're standing upright, and you look just like Christ, mm. and you walk into glory. That's a, and that's a covenantal view of the death of Christ. Mm. I, I don't think we... A lot of churches don't talk about the new covenant enough, mm. of what God has promised that he's going to do. And it's by the death of Christ that all of those benefits are given to God's people. Mm-hmm. So given of the, giving the Spirit... Um, writing the law on their hearts, um, forgiving their sins, all of these things are benefits that Christ buys on the cross. Yeah. Um, and uh, But that would mean that Christ's death is limited, right? right sure, yeah. Um, but everyone has limits in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And the issue I wanted to get at, though, is, okay, this is... The theology we believe, but what does Jesus think about what he's doing? Mm-hmm. Is there is there a reason from the story? Like we could compile a theology using the New Testament and get right there what I said. Right? Can we from John, mm-hmm. and can we from John's account of Jesus dying on the cross? And I think the answer is absolutely. Yeah. All right. We haven't even gotten to the text, but I've got to ask this question because you said something that um, you know we've got this. this Podcast is primary, primarily for our church mm. to help them to understand even more of what the sermon was about. Yeah. And you said something that I don't know if other people were thinking it, but I was asking the question right. as, you, as you were saying it. You said you either have this right or you have it wrong. Right. All right. So my question is, and I'm, I'm throwing you... <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing you... A, a little bit of a curveball here, Jay. Uh-huh. I want to. I want to hear what you have to say. Okay, is limited atonement necessary for salvation? Well, it's necessary for your salvation. You don't have to believe it to be saved. Okay, right. Um, you're not saved by perfect understanding or doctrine of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Parts of the Bible, I'm sure that we're wrong on. I don't think that's one of them, but uh, it's certainly necessary. I'd call it definite atonement. Mm-hmm. Uh, some would say limited atonement, but definite atonement is necessary for you to be saved. Mm-hmm. You can't be saved if it if it doesn't operate. Yeah. It has to be 
Jesus has to actually die for you. He doesn't theoretically die for you. This is a, this is what I don't think people understand when they adopt the other position. Jesus isn't in the other position. Jesus isn't dying for anyone in particular. People don't think about that. He's just dying for sin in general. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing even personal about it. I don't think you can arrive there using the Bible alone. I think someone has to teach you that as we'll see as we go through this text. So, yes, it's necessary for your salvation. Do you have to believe it to be saved? No. Um, I don't think you do. I think tons and tons and, I mean, millions and perhaps billions of people will die having flawed theology, and they'll be saved. I don't know if that's a... All right. Here's here's where it, here's where it, I think here's where it matters. If you have it wrong, you're going to end up walking through life, I think, not having the level of security that I think God wants you to have. Okay. Right. Right. Like I mean you're you're a parent. Do you want your kids being insecure because of things that you've done in their life? Right. No way. You don't. You want your you want you what you do as a father to create in your child a secure mental state, right? So you're not going to do things that would harm like like would harm that. So people that don't arrive here, I think though yes, of course they're saved because they're Christians. They're they're trusting in Jesus. Um they're missing out on a lot of security. How do you know that? Because people get saved like every summer. Mm. But they don't really get saved every summer. What they are doing is they're appeasing their conscience. Yeah. Right. They may have legitimately been saved at one time, but their conscience is so sensitive and they don't have the correct theology, what happens is they feel convicted of sin. They, they haven't lived a perfect Christian life. No one can. So rather than having this, this type of good theology which says, hey, it's not about you anyway, stop looking at yourself and trust in Christ. Just keep believing in Him, and he, you know, you're secure in Him. He's not going to throw you away like trash mm-hmm. because you haven't lived a perfect life. He already knew that. When He died for you, He knew... You were you were incredibly flawed and dead in sin, so so there's no need to get resaved every summer. You can't. But what? But you see what happens is people's consciences they're they're sensitive, and they're like, oh man, and they really do love God. I think, and they know they've offended God. So rather than just practicing, I think Christian confession and repentance. Yeah. Uh, they're like, I got to get resaved. That's not healthy. Mm-hmm. That's not a healthy thing. Yeah. And it's a danger of um, falling back into Rome's superstitions. Yeah. You've got to keep doing these things to merit God's grace. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of Christ's death has already secured everything that you need. Yeah. All right. Well, you uh, you broke one of your uh, your preaching rules in this, uh-huh. Jay. You even said it from the pulpit. No plural noun proposition? You didn't have, you didn't have like a clear... A clear uh, purpose statement. Yeah. Shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've fallen. You've fallen in my <laughs> estimation. Yeah. You were waiting you for get, it. You get your doctor. You get your doctorate, and you're like, all I did, right. I, I don't. Tell, I just jettison all this. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> I did tell you why it matters, though. Yes. Why you need to pay attention. All right. So yeah. let's um, let's have you read the the passage. So this is verses. 16 through 30. Okay. 
it's weird. I'm I'm using my New American Standard today, and uh, I think the New American Standard makes it a little bit easier because the ESV breaks a paragraph. So verse sixteen starts in the yeah the former paragraph, and then you mm-hmm. have to go down. That, that the, is weird. The New American Standard um, just has that second paragraph in verse seventeen. Interesting. Yeah. So just a little uh, weird. Just a reminder that the the verse numbering is not inspired. Right. Um, it's uh, not always perfect. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's have you read uh, verses sixteen through thirty, and uh, then you can uh, give us your outline. Okay. Okay. All right. So the text says, "So he delivered him over to to them to be crucified." That's Pontius Pilate delivering Jesus over. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place. To the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to the, said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate said, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each, each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. All right. There you have it. Okay. Well, you've got uh, you got three things here. Yeah. Yeah, I do. So you have three... three- points three things to see in this text all right meticulous sovereignty yes the love of jesus the finished work of christ Uh uh-huh all right that's it okay you got it okay the meticulous sovereignty i love this section you did this was great um i i love this because it is so this is again one of those it's one of those stories that if you've grown up in church you've heard this story Mm -hmm. right you've you've probably heard this year after year and that's good it's good to be raised in church it's good to be familiar with the story but the problem is we get so overly familiar with it that we miss out on the details Mm -hmm. um you said something along the lines of um this didn't have to be included yeah (laughs) it was it was included for a reason right john's not just putting in filler Uh and it's not just details to um, you know, bring the story alive. He's not trying to entertain you. He's trying uh-huh. to teach you. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, I like that you were bringing out all these little details 
that we're familiar with, but we don't know why it's important. Right. And so we have this this uh, meticulous sovereignty. Yeah. And your your kind of big point of this, correct me if I'm wrong, was this is this is God's sacrifice. Right. This this is not an accidental event. This is not um, poor Jesus. He's the victim of you know social injustice. Right. Um, he's uh, you know he's not uh, the precursor to George Floyd. Right. Right. <laughs> right. He's like this is this is God's deliberate sacrifice, sending Jesus, and all of these details are there to remind us that this is no accident. This is part of God's sovereign plan. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, God is meticulously involved in in the universe. He's he has a plan, right? But the plan doesn't happen. How like some think he has a plan because he looks through time and sees what will happen. That's not that's not it right. at all. Like God can't learn anything. Mm-hmm. I understand why that might would make people comfortable. Um, you have to realize that the sovereignty of God is not seen in uh, contradiction or competing against human freedom. Mm-hmm. God's created a universe where humans act according to their own freedom, but under all of it is God's sovereignty yeah. over everything. The more you think about it, if you really stop to think about it, there is no comfort in a God who's simply predicting the future. Mm-hmm. How is that helpful? Right. Um, he's not a fortune teller. He's the one who actually designs the future. Right. The things happen in the future, and he's able to um, inspire the prophets to predict these things because he's going to do them. Right. Not because he sees that it's going to happen, but because right. God is saying, I'm going to do these things. Yeah. And so he tells them in advance that he's going to do it. Uh-huh. And that's that's much more comforting and more hopeful than simply someone that says, um, I you know, looking into the crystal ball, I see <laughs> I see your future mm-hmm. and uh, this is what's going to happen, but nothing's gonna you know, nothing's gonna to change what happens. It mm-hmm. it just is. Right. Um, that's that's not. I mean, that's a crude illustration, but that's not what God is doing. He's not looking down the corridor of time, right, and predicting things that are going to happen. He's saying things are going to happen because He's going to do it. Yeah, yeah. So you've got um, you got five details here for us to to look at to kind of um, uh-huh. you know strengthen that proposition that this is God's definite plan uh-huh. and that he's sovereignly orchestrating these. So let's let's walk through them. And this is important to realize like the overall general point you got right. This is God's sacrifice. And so you need to to remember um the sacrifice sacrifice is given right in order to accomplish something in the Old Testament. Yeah. So an animal will die in the place in your place and God forgives your sin. Mm-hmm. Well God is providing the own means for you to be reconciled to him. And that's why I think it's important to understand this explicitly. Yeah. God doesn't have to provide a sacrifice for you, um, but he did. It's just part of his incredible goodness and his grace and his mercy to us that he's 
gone to this great extent, and even this great extent to communicate this so you could grasp it, that you could understand it. What we'll be talking about here encompasses thousands of years, yeah. and it's not a coincidence that they that it played out this way in Jesus' crucifixion. Right. It's God taking that great care to yeah. how he how he has uh, determined history to unfold, mm-hmm. even how the Romans would develop what they would develop as a means of crucifixion. Right. That's all under his control. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's to think big. About. It's it's this is big picture stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's all put together with little things that little, yeah, there's little that details. are so I mean, you look at it and say, This is unimportant. Yeah. <laughs> this has this has no bearing on anything. But when you put put it all together, it's this big picture. It's like putting together a puzzle. You you have to have all the pieces in order to see the whole the whole picture. Yeah. And so you've got things that even like the rolling of dice. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um even the soldier that ended up with the <laughs> right. with the piece of clothing, right. that's part of God's sovereignty. Yeah, uh, that's that's not an accident. I, I love that R.C. Sproul quote that you yeah. that you had. Do you have that? Can you do, can yeah. you read that for us? So I thought that that was a great the quote. Uh, the rolling of dice thing. Kind of what I what I presented there, and it, I'll read the quote here in a second. But it didn't even hit me till I was preaching it. <laughs> yeah. I, I gave the example of people believe in this general like big sovereignty of God. God can change nations and do mm-hmm. things like that. And then they struggle with like small details, like a sparrow doesn't die without apart from God or right. hairs of your head number. But also things that seem like pure chance. Mm-hmm. And I and I use the rolling of dice. Proverbs sixteen thirty three says yeah. the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. So when a dice is thrown, yeah, it's not random and it's not chance. That's why I think that that would be my reason for. And I've I've had people ask me this before: Is it a sin to gamble? Uh, like to go to the casino? Yeah. I always think about that verse. Right. Like when you're going, you're playing games of quote unquote chance. Uh, but the Bible informs Christians that every roll of the dice, um, or every you know turn of the slot machine, that's that's under God's sovereignty. So really, what you're doing is you're you're testing God. Yeah. Um, and His providence. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're forgetting that all of this is under God's control. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. It's not simply if you roll correctly, you'll make make some money. Right. You are, I think, testing God. Yeah. Um, and it, just these insignificant things. Right. And it didn't hit me till later. It'll come up, but the soldiers throw dice. Yeah. Right. In this story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, it hit me like as I was preaching it. Yeah. <laughs> the soldiers throw dice. Right. Um. So yeah, here's check out the Sproul quote because he he's got a book it's called Not a Chance, mm-hmm. and so he is attacking the the secular idea, which even is in the church that that time and chance are things, yeah, like they have agency, they can actually do something, and he says like, like they're not things, they're not entities, they can't do anything, like you know, given time and chance, the universe will create itself from nothing. It's a nonsense statement, yeah, because chance is a measurement, like you use it in statistics. Measuring probabilities, it it itself doesn't do anything, or the origins of life, time and chance equals life, and then evolution. Right. So here's this great quote that he has. He says this about it that because chance and God can't exist at the same time. So the mere existence of chance is enough to rip God from his cosmic throne. Chance does not need to rule. It does not need to be sovereign. If it exists as a mere impotent, humble servant, it leaves God not only out of date, but out of a job. If chance exists in the frailest possible form, God is finished. 
If chance exists in any size, shape, or form, God cannot exist. Mm. So, of course, you know, um, he's he'll boil it down. I've heard him say it so many times. Uh, if God is not sovereign, God is not God. Yeah. And it's true. It's absolutely true. Yeah, he's he said something along the lines of there's one maverick molecule in the universe then there's there's no certainty that any of God's promises will well, come to pass. Right. Because you've got one one molecule that hits against another and it, it just it's a domino mm-hmm. effect and you just don't know can God can God actually do what he says he's going to do unless he's right. sovereign over everything. Mhm. That's yeah, not that's hyperbole. Right. It we actually mean meticulous sovereignty. Yeah. Meticulous down to the details, the finest details. This should give you hope for the future because God is in control of everything. Uh, but it also should, um, I think it should just remind you of God's care. Yeah. He, again, he's not a distant, cold God. He's a God who he actually is a- attentive to every detail. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's good. So let's, let's look at these five details okay. that demonstrate God's sovereignty in this story. Okay, first... Uh, Pilate hands Jesus over to be crucified, and he goes out carrying the cross on his back. Yeah. He's he's bearing his own cross to the right. place where he'll be crucified. Mm-hmm. So he's carrying a a cross beam. So he didn't carry a big like what you would see that people wear as a necklace. He's carrying the top part, right? Uh, the horizontal, yeah, the horizontal, the beam. beam right. And so he's carrying that on his back. He's sent out, and this is <laughs> this thing. How heavy was this thing? I've I, I've read it before, but I forget. It's it's not it's not light. No, it's I don't know how heavy it okay. is, but too heavy for someone who's been beaten, who's bleeding to death, be, beaten yeah nearly to death already. Right. So he goes out, uh, and it's part of the cruel mm-hmm. cruelness of the crucifixion. Right. You're carrying the instrument of your own death on your back, and it's incredibly difficult. Yeah. Now this is something they would have had everybody do. Uh-huh. So Jesus is he's going out with we'll talk about the the, the other two yep. that are going out to be crucified. They're probably carrying their crossbeams also. Uh-huh. How, how is this any part of God's sovereignty? Isn't this just something that the Romans did? Well, that's what people would say. They'd say, "Well, this is just something the Romans did." And then my question would be, "Okay, well, so you just have chance. Mm-hmm. The Romans just so happened to divide the form of cruci- of of uh execution which hangs someone on a tree." Uh, and they just so happen to want to be cruel and say, you know what, we could instead of having the cross beams up there, which obviously they totally could have. Yeah. Let's have it down here at the start where they're con- where they're officially condemned and make right. them carry it all the way up. Yeah. Um, totally meaningless. Or there's meticulous sovereignty here. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's meticulous sovereignty here. It's meaningful. So you you go back to the Old Testament. It takes you back to Genesis 22, I think. Um, In Genesis 22, um, there's another child of of the covenant, the son, uh, the language that John's used throughout his gospel, which I think is to echo, is to be like this echo of Genesis 22, God's covenant promises to Abraham. And he tells Abraham to take his son, his only son, whom he loves. Mm Mm-hmm. And Jesus is used in that way in in John as yeah. God's only son, whom He loves. Right. So he, he tells him to take Isaac and to sacrifice him. It's a test. It's a test of his faith. And really, he's, he's I think he's testing: Do you believe God will do what He says? Because God's already told him, right, that this son is the son right. of the covenant promises. Mm-hmm. 
And it's through him that, you know, the nations are going to eventually be blessed. So God tells him. And so he he takes his son to the place, uh, the area, the region of Moriah, which I didn't even go into these details, but some people believe Jesus was crucified at the actual spot where this took place. Well, the temple the temple is built on Mount Moriah, right. um, so the the sacrificial system is building on this uh-huh. this typology of Genesis twenty two. Yeah, so it's there in the it for sure in the general vicinity. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how there's any way you could actually prove it's the spot. So <laughs> right. Abraham gets to the spot of sacrifice, and they're going to go up a mountain, yeah. a hill. Abraham takes the wood of the sacrifice and he puts it on his son's back. Okay. And his son goes out bearing the the, the wood, wood right. on his back and he says, "Well, here's the wood, where's the sacrifice?" Yeah. And Abraham says, "God will provide for himself a sacrifice." I don't know how you preach the rest of the sermon. I mean, you could have just you could have just highlighted <laughs> that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And preached a whole sermon just showing how Jesus is he is the fulfillment of the promise, uh-huh. um, but you did carry on. Yeah, yeah, but that detail is—it's so tiny. You you just can read read past it very quickly. I mean, it, it's it's embedded in a verse, um, and yet it holds great theological significance. Yeah, and so he goes out. Uh, God does provide a sacrifice, but in Jesus's case. Right. There's not another yeah, he substitute because he's the substitute. He is the sacrifice. Right. So he's carrying the the wood of the sacrifice on his back. Right. And he is the substitute. Yeah. Which was spoken of. All right. So the second one is the location of the crucifixion. Yeah. So the text records he goes out to the place of the skull. Mm-hmm. Tells you that in Aramaic, it tells you in Aramaic, uh, Golgotha, and in. In Latin, which is recorded in the other Gospels, Calvary. Right. So, which just means, as he tells you, the place of the skull. Yeah. And it's, uh, again, one of those things where you could be like, oh, it's just a pure coincidence called the place of the skull. Yeah. You know, I really liked what you brought out, and it's a shame you weren't preaching this passage when we were trying to de- decide the name for the the church when we merged. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Calvary Baptist. Like Calvary means place of the skull. We don't yeah. think about. It. There's tons of Calvary Baptist churches. Yeah, everywhere. There's probably, I think there's one in Lawton. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I used to serve at Calvary Baptist Church before I moved down here yeah. from Kansas City, and uh, I just said, you know, you don't hear a lot of. Hear, yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard of a Golgotha. Yeah, I haven't heard Baptist of Golgotha. <laughs> it sounds weird. Yeah, but even weirder would be if you planted a church and you called it the place of the skull. Yeah. Place of the Skull Baptist Church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what kind of a church is this? Yeah, yeah. Probably would get people coming just that, to, that <laughs> sheer curiosity, just to see what's the going place on. Place of the Skull and your church you sign. Got, is this like a goth church? Yeah, you, you could just have a big skull <laughs> on your church sign. Yeah. You don't even need letters. Yeah. You don't even need words. Just have a big skull. Here comes Jay standing up to preach, dressed like the Punisher. <laughs> 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 yeah. Place of the skull, Calvary. Yeah. So that, that one's readily available. Now Calvary this is Baptist. probably a place where they crucified a bunch of people. It's it's highly visible. They probably did this along a road because this they don't they don't execute people um, for nothing. Like this is a this is a, a show, right? Like this is what happens when you cross Rome. So yeah. they, pro- they probably have crucified a bunch of people at the oh, place. Yeah. I mean, I'm they sure. look up and say, 
hey, this place looks like a skull. What a great place to that's probably what ex- execute people. The Romans were probably like, look at this place. This right. place is creepy. This is where this we'll is do, this is gonna this, this is gonna is work gonna out do, just yeah. fine. And apparently that's what it was. The the rocks maybe look like skulls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, or a skull. And there is yeah. if you look up, you can look it up. You can Google it. Have you done it? There's have, a, yeah, there's huh? a place right outside the temple. Right uh, on the main road, um, elevated. Yeah, matches perfectly the description. Mm-hmm. And the rock formation looks like a big skull. It's right. kind of scary looking. Yeah. So. You can either believe in pure chance that you know over thousands of years, uh, this place was eroded to just look like a big creepy skull, right? Or you can see the meticulous sovereignty of God. Because okay. if you read your Bible and you, you know, at all, you remember Genesis chapter three. In Genesis chapter three, God makes a promise uh, to the man and the woman, but not only to the man and the woman. He, it's a promise that's given to uh, Satan. That he's going to destroy him. He's going to crush his skull. Yeah. That there's coming a seed of the woman that is going to smash his skull. Yeah. Destroy him. And we know this promise is Jesus. Right. It's fulfilled at the cross and his crucifixion. So the spiritual reality is being visibly illustrated yeah, by him being crucified on top of a skull. That's right. It's 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 like how can how can you believe in accidents right. and chance? Like, yeah. It's such a clear demonstration that God's in control of all of this. Yeah. How much more clearly could he could God scream at mankind? I always fulfill my promises. Right. Yeah. All right. He also is crucified between two criminals. Yeah, that's the third detail. Yeah. So these are um probably contemporaries of Barabbas. Okay. The language that's used of them in the other gospels is that of insurrectionists, if you look up kind of the word. Okay. And so more than likely, why is it translated as um, thieves or, or robbers? Is that kind of the semantical domain? Right. Yeah. Of the so word? so prob so yeah probably what they're doing are like raids okay. upon Roman um, interests okay. or even caravans of Roman goods. Mm. They're bandits. Okay. You know what I mean? They're, right. They're like they're they're attacking supply chains probably. Uh, stealing, killing. Yeah. Um, they're yeah. doing what they can to disrupt Rome there. Okay. Probably. Don't know for sure, but yeah, that's more than likely. And Barabbas, is a, he's, one of, he's one of those. Right. And Jesus has taken his place. Yeah. Um, and God is... God, Which, again, I mean, we're going back a little bit, but <laughs> right. I mean, even the name Barabbas means um, son of the father. Mm-hmm. It, again, God's meticulous sovereignty mm-hmm. and even the person that Jesus replaces the son of god is replacing the the son of the father mm-hmm. right that's not it's not accidental mm-hmm. right yeah uh so isaiah 53 which is about jesus and god's sacrifice the suffering servant isaiah 53:12 tells us that he'll be this will happen that god is going to crush him and then the terminology is used that he will be numbered with the transgressors so Here's Jesus. He is numbered with transgressors. Jesus isn't a lawbreaker. He's there. He's innocent. But these two men are lawbreakers. They are guilty. Right. Um, and they deserve to be there. Um, even one of the criminals admits as much in the other Gospels. And so Jesus is there with transgressors, a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, and a great, I think, demonstration of what Jesus is doing. 
dying in the place of sinners. Right. Right. All right. So, uh, carrying his own cross, places a skull between two criminals. The inscription. Mm -hmm. The inscription that Pilate writes, uh, this is uh, the king of the Jews. They say, don't don't write king of the Jews. Just write, he said he was a king of the Jews. <laughs> right. Pilate's like, no, I already wrote what I wrote. Uh-huh, yeah. They put a, what are you convicted of? They'd put it on the cross right. for everyone to see as mm-hmm. a deterrent. Yeah, right. Deterrent. And so Pilate's like, I'm going to have the last laugh with these people. Probably he wrote this, you know, he, he doesn't believe it himself. He's writing it out of malice to get back at the leaders of the Jews for what they've made him do. Because remember, he didn't want to do it. He's given yeah. into political pressure. So he's like, okay, well, I'm going to get at you because right, they don't believe Jesus is the king of the Jews either. So he writes that he that Jesus is the king of the Jews as a kind of like a poke at him. Um, and behind all of that is the sovereignty of God. God's used the, him to proclaim the truth to the world. Uh, Jesus is the king of the Jews. And even beyond that, he's the king of all things, king of the world. So he publishes it in... Three languages, uh, Latin, Aramaic, Greek. Everyone, so everyone could read it and understand it. Um, I like what D.A. Carson said about this um, because it shows us God's sovereignty over even the evil intentions of Pilate in publishing this to get back at people. D.A. Carson, he said this, Pilate's malice serves God's ends. The Lord Jesus is indeed the King of the Jews. The cross is the means of his exaltation and the very manner of his glorification. The trilingual notice may serve as a symbol for the proclamation of the kingship of Jesus to the whole world. Thus, the two men most immediately responsible for Jesus' death, that's Pilate and Caiaphas, are unwittingly furthering God's redemptive purposes, unwittingly serving as prophets of the king they execute. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, um, you know we talked about Caiaphas mm-hmm. back in what John eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, just God's sovereignty is it's so um, overarching that people like Caiaphas and, and Pilate are doing things out of malice and hatred and, and rebellion against God and. They're saying exactly what God wants them to say. <laughs> right. Yeah. They end up proclaiming the good news. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. The fifth thing is the division of his clothes. Okay. Yeah. So they. this is a, this little Roman squad. They, I guess, part of their reward, I don't know what you'd say, benefit? How can you call it a benefit? You kill people all day long. They get the spoils. Yeah, they get the spoils of their of their killing. Mm-hmm. They, they're executioners. Part of their job is they get to keep whatever they pull off the criminals. Yeah. So, you know, if you most it, of these people are probably not, you know, very affluent. They're right. probably pretty poor. So yeah. the authorities don't really care. Yeah. Right? Do whatever you want with Take, yeah. their stuff. Just so, get the job done. Yeah. So they, you know, you'd be stripped and completely naked. Mm-hmm. You're not crucified with clothes on. Right. Like pictures yeah. would show you. Right. Total, I mean, this is total humiliation. Yeah. So they take all of Jesus' clothes. The articles that they can divide, they divide. So they, without tearing them, they just say, hey, you want this? Like, hey, who wants who wants his pants? Me. Who wants these sandals? Me. You know, whatever. Yeah. They, so they, they're dividing them up. Four. There are four of them. They all got something. Well, there's one piece left, yeah. and it's seamless. It's the 
the article that you'd wear like under your cloak um, against your skin, and it's it's got no, it's seamless. It's woven from top to bottom in one piece. So some have said this would have been kind of an expensive piece of clothes. Okay. So probably given to him as a gift, yeah. I would imagine. So they don't want to tear it. They could tear it, I guess, and divide the, the divide it up. They say, you know what? Like let's let's play a game. Yeah. Let's throw dice, and whoever wins can get the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what they do. They throw they throw they throw some dice. Yeah, and uh, and the winner got this seamless piece of clothes. And John records for us, he quotes Psalm 22. He said this, this, and he literally tells you this was done in order to fulfill Scripture. Yeah. So you know it's this isn't an accident. Right. And so you just stop for a second, and then you begin to see how are these <clears throat> pagan, cruel, like hardened people who crucify people like all year long doing exactly what God wants them to do. <laughs> and you have to understand God is sovereign even over what they're doing. They're right. freely doing it. Yeah. God's sovereign even over all, all of it right. that they're doing. So they throw these these dice, he quotes Psalm 22, which Psalm 22 is quoted a ton. It may be one of the most quoted in the whole New Testament. Um, Jesus quotes it himself yeah. uh, in the other Gospels. The, um, it's his cry of... I think they call it the cry of desolation. Mm. My God, why have you forsaken me? Beginning of Psalm 22. Some think he quoted the whole psalm. Yeah. And there they are doing Psalm 22. Right. What's not recorded here is while the soldiers are doing Psalm 22 with the throwing of the dice, Mm -hmm. there's people around Jesus mocking him, like they're wagging their heads at him. They're saying, oh, you know, he did this. Let him save himself, like all the stuff. And they're all fulfilling Psalm 22 as well. Yeah. It's all happening. Right. Yeah. It brings, it brings, um, he, you know, John's only quoting that one part, but it's meant to draw our attention to the entirety of Psalm 22. Yeah, which we read in the scripture reading right. at church. Yeah, which again, that's God's sovereignty because um, David is writing, um, what, 1,500 years before crucifixion was even in its infancy, and he's talking right. about, they've pierced my hands and feet. Right. Uh, my joints are, you know, my my bones are all out of joint. Yeah. He's he's vividly describing crucifixion. Yeah, um, centuries, yeah. centuries, even maybe in a, a millennium. I'm thirsty. Before, my know, tongue before, is stuck to my before mouth. crucifixion was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so God's sovereignty in that. Yeah, it's very detailed. Okay, so all of that is all of that is to remind us that that this is no accident. That mm-hmm. this is God's purpose. It's His plan. Um, it it is. This is the reason why Jesus was to come. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the second. Let's go to the second point. So that's the meticulous sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Second is the perfect love of Jesus, and here we see how uh, you know Mary is supposed to be venerated <laughs> right. um, among right. the saints. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So you got this section uh, in twenty five, twenty five through twenty seven, and John includes this this uh, detail here. It's not in the others. It's Probably because it happened to him. John's right there. Yeah, yeah. He's he's standing there. And John's a character in this. Yeah. The uh, everyone else is gone. It's interesting. Peter's even gone. He's there for a little bit, but he's gone too, apparently. Yeah. Um, and the only people that are left are these four women. Yeah. And the disciple whom Jesus loves, John. 
John's and I could, witnessed. Uh, this was, you, know, you didn't bring this out, but that's kind of what the podcast is for, right? To bring right. out some of this stuff. Do you think that uh, the inclusion of these women is, again, just a testimony to the, the historical accuracy of this? Yeah. Like, this this is kind of shameful that the guys are gone and Absolutely. here's the women. It is, yeah. Who, who would have included this if it didn't actually happen? Listen, there's a risk for being associated with Jesus. Right. He's, he's being crucified here as an insurrectionist, as right. a criminal. Yeah. And they're here. Mm-hmm. They're not ashamed to be associated with him. Yeah. These women and all of the other men have run away. John's probably only there because he's got some kind of immunity since he's fr- he knows the... He, the knows, hi- the he knows the high priest. He knows the high priest some, somehow. Uh-huh. Yeah, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, he's there as an eyewitness. But yeah, I think you're right. If you're going to make up a story, you're not going to write a story where women are braver than the men are. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Not not in this not in this time period. Understandable that his mom would be there, I uh-huh. think. Yeah. And maybe like a supporter for her. But yeah. then the others are there too. Right. Yeah. So this little group of women are there. So Jesus is... This fulfills um, the prophecy that was given at the beginning of Luke, that a sword will pierce Mary's own heart, mm-hmm. um, seeing her son yeah. uh, executed. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and so Jesus is, this would be, I think, I can't remember if this is in the first three hours or the second three hours. I have to go back and look at look at my notes. So but, when, when was he crucified? He was crucified at three? Is that? Um, he's crucified around... I, I think around noon. Around noon, okay. Right, and so as we'll see here uh, in the next sermon, it's about to get dark, mm-hmm. So they and that would be 6 o'clock. Okay. So they say, hey, we don't want to defile the land, break right. their legs, okay. Ple- or please, yeah. they, they ask. Yeah. <laughs> they don't tell the Romans what to do. Right. So he's like, okay, yeah. you know, it's your holy day, mm-hmm. I'll break their legs so they all die. But, yeah. Je- but Jesus is already dead. Right, yeah. So he... 12 to around 6 okay. is the time. He, okay. But they take him down, they bury him before okay. Sabbath comes. Gotcha. Um, that would mean the trial, the trials probably started, I guess, around 3, it was, it was three in the morning, too, early, and yeah. they were done by noon. Yeah. I have to go back and look at, this, look at the timeline. Okay. Yeah. And, of course, there's other details about darkness covering the earth. Right. All these supernatural things. There's mm-hmm. a lot of supernatural things that happen that right. you just can't hit all of them or you'll be there for five years. Right. But as he's dying, he's in incredible pain. Yeah. Um, psychological, even spiritual. You have to forget about that. The wrath of God's upon him. Yeah. He's hanging on the cross. He's dying. He's lost so much blood. He's... But he thinks about his uh, mom. That's what's amazing. It's like he's still thinking about other people. And so he he tells uh, his mom. He gives his mom away. That's what he's doing. He gives his mom away to his disciple. And he tells the disciple, she's now your mom. Take care of her. Mm. Um, the Roman Catholic Church tries to say, or they try to use this to say, look, Mary is the queen of the church. Jesus actually yeah. put his disciple under the care of his mother. That's just, it's crazy. It's like a backwards reading of it. Uh-huh. And the t- it's right there. If you just want to read the text, like plainly, it says, and from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that mean? 
Well, it means he's taken her into his house. Well, that's uh, that is reason why you should set up a statue of Mary in your <laughs> right. in your home, Jay. Yeah, you have to bring her into <laughs> your home yeah. also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, in the Catholic Church, Mary's the Queen of Heaven. Uh huh. Co-redemptress. She, co-redemptrix. She is. They pray to her. The Queen of the Church, the Mother of the Church, I think she's called. Mm-hmm. And this is a verse that they they would point to as one of them, a, a proof text. But it, <laughs> there really is only two places right. <laughs> that they could look mm-hmm. uh, to proof text this. Everything's got to come from tradition. church tradition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think obviously. That's not what's happening. What's happening is taking care of his mother. Okay. Je- and, and so we see the humanity of Jesus, and mm-hmm. we see Jesus is perfectly obeying God. He's living perfectly because he's honoring his father and his mother. Yeah, It's a command. If he doesn't care for her, he's not, obe- he's, he's not, caring, he's not honoring her. Right. So it's one of the last things he does is he, he ensures she's okay. Now this is just a random, random event again. John just happens to be there, and, and Jesus, delirious with blood loss, <laughs> yeah. sees John and says, you take care of her. Right. Right? Yeah. Because Jesus has other half-brothers, yeah. James and Jude. Um, they're not there. So John's there. It's just, it's yeah. just circumstances, right? Yeah. I, no. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a uh, we get a picture I think too of uh, the community that Jesus is building, the importance mm-hmm. of this community because in just the regular world, um, he can be like, oh, I've got other brothers, right. it's no big deal. Yeah, but Jesus, it's a radical. What he's done is pretty radical. He's given away his mom. Mm-hmm. His he's responsible for her. Yeah. He gives her away to a non-relative, right? And he tells the non-relative, "This is now your mom. Yeah, take care of her like she's your own mom, right?" And this is what we see in the the church, the early church. This is how they lived. Um, blood is thicker than water. That's what the secular world says. Right. So no matter what happens, your loyalties to your family above anyone else that's not your family. Right. The Christian community is just the opposite. Yeah. It it is your loyalty are to those who are in Christ. Mm-hmm. Right, those that belong to Christ—that's your family. Yeah, and that is more important than blood relation. Yeah, um, you see this, and there may be people at our church that struggle with this. I, I don't know, but um, a, a good friend of mine—he, um, I don't know—he might watch this sometimes. I don't know, um, but he—he's struggled with the fact that his family and his wife's family—they'll—they'll they'll schedule. You know, family birthday parties, like on Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. and so there's that that pull to go to. You're either going to go to church or you're going to go to the to the family. And um, for Christians, we need to remember that our blood relatives who are not believers are not going to be as close to us as our Christian brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Like right. if, it, if it comes down to it, our devotion, our allegiance should be to the the church, mm-hmm. should be to the to the family um, that God has brought us together as. Right, yeah. 
this is his I Jesus I mean you see it he said it in the gospels remember the account where they say hey your brothers brother and mother are outside yeah and he's like he points to his disciples right here are my here is my uh brother and mothers yeah. whoever does the will of my father is my mother my brother and my sister right that's a radical statement yeah you know philip philip and i are related cousins yeah. um and I can say with very, you know, with certainty, I feel closer to him than I feel to most of my relatives. Mm. Um, and it's we have common interests, but it's not just because of common interests; it's because of our devotion to Christ. It's because of what Christ has done, right. where we are um, growing and maturing together um, under the ministry of of the Word, and um, we're we just feel closer to each other. Uh-huh. Um, goodness, we probably all can give stories of times that we've met strangers and it turns out they're Christians and you feel like, uh, an instant bond. Yeah. You feel like you've them. known them your whole life. Right. Right. It's, it's not the same with unbelievers. Uh-huh. That's right. That's, that's how it should be. Yeah. Um, we should expect that believers are going to be the people that we're closer to mm-hmm. because we share in common the most important thing in the entire universe, which is Christ. Yeah. And um, at this point, his brothers aren't in that circle. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. So he gives his mother away to one that is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a radical thing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Okay. Final uh, final point here is the finished work of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, verses twenty-eight through thirty. Um, we've got Jesus's last words, as recorded by John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you uh, you brought out the fact that people's last words usually shed some light into what's most important for people. Yeah. And I mean, so if you know you're gonna die. Yeah. Right, you're probably gonna say try to say something important. Mm-hmm. The last words I get to say, right? Um, something that it's gonna reveal your heart, like what's yeah. most important to you, right? And I think even more so when every breath that you take is killing you, right? Like how valuable are the words? Yeah, like this is the last bit of energy he can even get out. Mm-hmm. Like every breath is breath closer to it being over. Yeah, I mean just the 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 gospel writers they don't they don't dive into the gory details of crucifixion mm-hmm. probably because it's so common that everyone everyone knows yeah, what didn't. crucifixion looks like. Um but crucifixion you don't you don't die from blood loss. Right. Um you die from suffocation. Mm-hmm. You you drown. Um and you're when you when you uh, you're holding yourself up by your arms to take a breath, you've got to hold yourself up, and then you collapse and you you can't breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like you said, in order for him to to say anything, he's got to put weight on those nails that are are there in his wrist, uh-huh. um, pressing against those nerves, and pull up. And he's got to pull up, and it takes strength in your shoulders and in your. You know, your your arms and your in your feet too, pushing off yeah, your feet. Yeah, and his his um, you know his bones are already out of joint, so just it's it's excruciating. His his back is just uh, pummeled, which is excruciating. And he's rubbing the up against that 
crucifixion. Yeah, yeah he's rubbing up against that wood in order yeah. to bring himself up. I'm sure that the Romans decided this was smooth. These were smooth yeah. pieces of wood that they, they sanded were. It down. They yeah. sanded it down for him. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it, it's painful. So mm-hmm. in order for him to say anything, he would have to go through an ordeal. Um, so for him to, we should listen to what he actually says. Yeah. It's recorded that he only said seven things in a six-hour period. Mm-hmm. That's int- very interesting. Yeah. Again, because it's incredibly painful. And right. Would take every bit of energy he had. First, he prayed for sinners. So the first three hours recorded in the, in the go- other gospels, this is recorded. Uh, Father, forgive them. They don't. They know not what they are doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Second, he made a promise to the repentant criminal. Yeah. That's interesting to me. These are these are reveal the heart of God. I mean, they reveal Jesus so much. Yeah, he promises this repentant criminal he will be with him in paradise. Mm-hmm. And then third, he entrusts his mother. Yeah, to his to his disciple. Then the second three hours, there's the cry of desolation. Why have you forsaken me? Yeah. From Psalm twenty two. There's the cry of physical anguish. I thirst, which is here in our text. There's the cry of victory. It is finished. And then the cry of resignation. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Okay. So in our text here, um, in this last section, beginning in verse 28, uh, we have this first cry. So we'll look at, I guess, the uh, this cry of physical anguish, I thirst, and then this cry of victory. Okay. That's, that's what's here. Yeah. So I thirst. Um, again, it's one of those things where you could be like, well, that's what happens when you've been beaten nearly to death and you're bleeding to death, you right. lose all your blood and you get thirsty. Yeah. Um, but there's a very interesting thing I think John's communicating to us. If you look at your passage in verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, he said it, why? To fulfill Scripture. Mm-hmm. I thirst. Right. It, at the beginning of the crucifixion, in some of the other gospels, he rejects the the drink that they're giving him, right? Probably that, because it's it's um, kind of an anesthesia, right. kind of a drug to right. to dull the senses. Uh huh. Um, and he doesn't want his senses dulled. Yeah. Right. And this is it. Right. He knows it's like he knows he's about to die at this point. Right. Like it's almost like <clears throat> we're right here. Yeah. He's about to give up his spirit. Yeah. So, but he knows this is what's amazing to think about. Like everything that's happening to him is happening according to the predetermined plan of God, meticulous sovereignty. We've already right. said, but Jesus isn't just like why he's not just like riding a wave of God's providence through this whole thing. Yeah, Jesus is involved actively right. in carrying out God's will yeah. to a T. Like he knows exactly what he is doing. Mm-hmm. He's actively involved, and so he knows there's one more thing that like he hasn't done yet, and yeah. that's to say, I thirst, yeah. right? Saying that isn't the thing. Right. What happens after he says, yeah. I thirst, is the thing. And that's Psalm sixty nine twenty one, which says, for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Mm. So he says, I thirst, which <laughs> like just so happened to be sour wine there. Yeah. And they gave it to him. Right. No. Um, he knows he's... he's for for scripture to be fulfilled. Yeah. So he's actively what I was trying to communicate here is God is meticulously involved in doing all this, but Jesus himself is actively involved in doing all of this. 
and this so his his cry of thirst is showing his divin- uh, his uh, humanity mm-hmm. but i think that what you're bringing out is his divinity yes like, there's no one else who could ever do this mm-hmm. who could look at the scriptures and say this is about me i have to do this right 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 uh-huh. <laughs> so he so he knows what he has to do from the scriptures mm-hmm. and he does it yep it's like it's like he's reading the old testament and it's like, all right, this is my playbook. <laughs> this is what I this is what I have to do uh-huh. um, in my life. Right. And he does it. He does it intentionally. Uh-huh. It, yeah. It's mind it's mind boggling. Yeah. Like when yeah. you were bringing it out, I, it was it was <laughs> kind of like I I hadn't really thought about the fact that he's actively doing this. He knows the scriptures are about him. He knows the prophecies about him, and even on the cross, he's his wits are still sharp and he knows all right i've done everything i have to do this one more thing right yeah it's pretty it's pretty mind mind-boggling yeah the skeptic i could see the skeptics if the if they're listening and they could be like yeah there were plenty of people that claimed to be the messiah and they read the old testament too and they thought well i've got to do these things uh-huh. well good how, how many of them did they accomplish yeah <laughs> because as far as i can see they just got whacked right like they'd they'd raise up of they'd be like I'm the Messiah I'm going to overthrow Rome yeah and then the Roman soldiers come in and and kill them it's your toast right <laughs> um, didn't even make it to the crucifixion stage <laughs> right they didn't even know it was there because yeah. they couldn't read the Old Testament properly right um and, and no one understands what's going on he's been telling people this yeah whole he's time. telling them they still aren't getting it he because, told Peter uh, he was this was going to happen and Peter's like no way that's not no yeah these pretenders these yeah. pretenders um claiming you know messianic status are not trying to be crucified right <laughs> they're not saying i'm going to go to jerusalem and i'm going to be betrayed and handed over to the romans and they're going to crucify me mm-hmm. instead they're they are they have the the false expectation of the messiah and they try to gather together an army around them yep. to fight yeah and yep. they lose yeah so it's not nowhere near the same yeah, um, they're near. they're actually I think trying I think they're actually falling susceptible to Satan's temptation. Yeah, the crown without the cross. Mm-hmm. So they're they're pretenders to the throne. Right. The the true king is the one who knows that he has to suffer and then he's glorified. Yep, that's right. Yeah, you can't control. There's so many things too that even are outside of control. Right. During this whole deal. Yeah. Where you're born. What happens? To, what happens to you when you're a baby? Right. Like, there's all this stuff that's Sol- happening. Soldiers uh, yeah. playing dice. Play, yeah, soldiers playing dice for your clothes. See someone up on the cross. Hey guys, <laughs> you guys need to play dice. Yeah, yeah. Do it now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So many things. Yeah. But right. there, but there are many things he's doing on purpose. Right. Like getting a donkey. Yeah. Riding uh-huh. in on a donkey. Right. Instead of like some majestic war horse. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. Right. So he's yeah. actively involved mm-hmm. in fulfilling everything that's taking place. Right. And that brings you to the last words, it is finished. Yeah. And I think three words that you've got to really understand. And it is finished, I, I said. I don't I don't ever want to like try to undermine people's English translations. Mm-hmm. I didn't, definitely didn't want to do that. Because I think you can get out of the English, if you read John, like the Gospel of John, yeah. you're going to get what he means when he says it's finished. Right. But if you're just to jump into John like at this point and yeah. read it is finished, mm-hmm. you might just read it in our way of thinking and say, oh, well, he just means that it's over. Yeah. 
his life's over. And that's what some people take it as. It's right. this, this cry of futility. Right. And it's definitely not that. Right. Because Tetelestai... A lot of people, well, I don't know a lot of people, but the more liberal interpretations, they think that Jesus Jesus really thinks he's the Messiah, and even here as he's being executed, he's still expecting God to deliver him and to rescue him from the cross. Mm-hmm. And then here, it becomes clear to him that God's right. not going to do it, and he cries out in this you know, just complete hopelessness right. that it's finished. Yeah, he's, but he's not saying it is over. I'd right. have to look up. There's, I'm sure there are different words that could mean it's over. Mm-hmm. He says it, uh, it is accomplished. Yeah, Tetelestai. It's accomplished. That's what it carried. It, it, it has this idea of carrying out a task. Yeah. And there's even, mo- even more to that. In a religious context, there is this overtone of the word that means to fulfill one's religious obligations. It's, te- it's teleo, mm. which I, I believe is found in Romans chapter 10. Christ is the the end of the law mm. to everyone who believes. Not that he um, abolishes the law, but that he fulfills it. Fulfillment, right. He fulfills it. Yeah. So we are t- we should think about like what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Again, like the, the words, it's the last few words he says. Yeah. He's got to pull up, he's got to say something, and he says, it is accomplished. Yeah. Um, what did he accomplish? What, what does he mean? Right. That's what you got to ask. Yeah, like it's significant words. Yeah. What is he talking about? <laughs> right. Um, what's accomplished? And so that takes us kind of back to the beginning, what we were talking about. Um, is he just being a good example? Is that what he means? Like, I lived a good life. I made a good example for people to follow. Like, there's no way you can arrive there using the Bible. Yeah. You have to be taught this silly stuff. Right. Angie and I were talking about, she's like, how do people come up with this preposterous stuff? <laughs> like, cause yeah. we've been talking about all the different theories of the atonement, right. atonement past couple classes. I was like, again, I don't, I don't know. Cause they don't arrive at them from the Bible. Mm-hmm. But yeah. they do come up with some pretty wild ones. It's tradition and just trying to. They're, I would say that probably for the most part, these people are unbelievers. Yeah, and so they're not just coming to the text, believing what it says. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we often forget that yes, the Bible is a book, but it's not just any book, and not just anybody can sit down and understand what it means. Mm-hmm. They can understand the words, but they can't really understand what is going on without the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what's going on with a lot of people is that they sit down and, and they can even be trained as theologians and be these highly regarded philosophers and theologians, and what they're writing is just absolute nonsense. Mm-hmm. Case yeah. in point, William Lane Craig that we right. talked about a couple right. of weeks ago. Which is going to come up next week, George, because, mm. well, I don't want to give up the okay. surprise. Okay, all right, yeah, don't, uh, don't. But I'll just give a little teaser. Okay. You remember when he was laughing, he was like, oh, you, you believe that uh, there actually was a wa- there was a rock in the wilderness that they struck <laughs> the rock? Well, yeah. I got news for William Lane Craig. Uh-huh. Right. Okay, I, I, see, a, I see where you're coming. You know what's I see coming? where you're going. Yeah, yeah, I see, okay. I see it. So, all, all right. right. Okay, yeah. Well, I, I just always have to take a little shot at William Lane Craig. Can't resist? Can't resist it. Yeah, can't resist it. 
because yeah. I think he's I think he's a, a perfect example of someone that is this really respected theologian and apologist and philosopher. And I think that a lot of times he comes to the text and he just completely misses it. He doesn't understand what is going on. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> we could just go down sometimes, a rabbit hole. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Sometimes you need, I'm not bash, I mean, like I think education is important. Right. right? And I invested in it myself. Mm hmm. But sometimes you need a PhD to really mess up a passage. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's not something yeah. it's not something some person like some chew, some person in the pew could pick up the passage. Yeah. And they're like, "Oh yeah, this this, this is what it means because it's so obvious." Right. <laughs> but then you've been taught all of these things that yeah. you just screwed it up big yeah. time. And like you said, I, I think that you can you can figure out what he's saying here um, if you read the entire gospel of John. If you read the entire Gospel of John, you'll have no question what can't, he's saying. Can't miss it. You will not miss it at all. Right. Not at all. Because he's been talking about what the, he's going to the do. Mission, the yeah. mission that the Father has sent him on. Yeah. It's, it's, I've come not to do my own will, but to do the will of my Father. Yeah. Right? That's right. Yeah. Um, so kind of the way I s summarized it is he came to glorify his Father by representing a people uh, well, we could say he came to glorify his father by revealing his father mm -hmm. and by representing a people to the father, uh, living their life and dying in their place. Mm. And that's it. Yeah. And that's what he means when he says it is finished. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of proof text. I mean, proof text. There's a ton of text yeah. in John. And there's text all over the Bible to show you this. Right. So I don't know how many do you want to do. However many you want to do. All right. So what is he, what is he doing? Um, well, we'll start first with the act of obedience. Maybe a new concept for people. Okay. Uh, Jesus, and this is this. There are many theories uh, on atonement that are way wacky, <laughs> right? But they have a little yeah. element of truth to them. Uh -huh. So one of them is that Jesus does show us what it is to be a perfect human. Yeah. And he doesn't do that just because <clears throat> he does it because that's what's required. Right. By God, yeah, and Jesus even says that to John the Baptist mm -hmm. when he comes to be baptized. John says, "You should be baptizing me," right. and he says, "Suffer it now." Um, it it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Yeah, he, I, I'd I'd have to look. It might be the that that word "fulfill" might be the same word. It might it might be yeah. So, uh, in order, and we'll get to the cross here in a second, but God could just forgive you, right? Through what Jesus did when He died on the cross, but that still does not earn you heaven. Yeah, because because what's required is for you now to live a completely perfect, flawless, sinless life, mm -hmm. and to be righteous yourself. Yeah, and something you can't attain. It's impossible. So, uh, part of Jesus' work is to live perfectly, obediently to His Father uh, for for you. Um, and then his righteousness given to you as a gift. Um, Paul elaborates on this in Philippians 3, right? He yeah. lists all of his human works. Right. He says, I count them all as rubbish, or that I, may have, uh, that I might have Christ, mm -hmm. have a righteousness that is not mm -hmm. my own. Right. And this is what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah 23 says that uh, the days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in his, in, 
the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's talking about the active obedience of Christ. Yeah. We, we don't have righteousness on our own. Yeah. And so... Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, fam- the famous passage, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin. We'll get to that in a second. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this is this is what we get. We get a... There's a transfer going on. So when Jesus is here, dying on the cross, he's fully aware of what's happening. Mm-hmm. He has taken upon himself our sin. But something else is happening. For all of the all of his people, which we'll see some of that, He God is giving those people, Jesus' perfection, mm-hmm. his perfect righteousness. Right. So when he looks at George, he doesn't see you as a fallen sinner anymore. He sees you as the perfect righteousness of Christ. So yeah. you are now adopted into God's family, right. not because of your works, and this is ties in the Reformation. It's not your works that makes you righteous before God, it's Jesus' works, Yeah. and that includes all of his life. Yeah, I think it was Mark Dever that said that we are saved by works, yeah. It's not our works. Just not ours. Not yeah. our works. Yeah. Uh, talking about famous last words, uh, J. Gresham Machen, um, he was uh, helped found Princeton, mm. um, uh, founded the, uh, he founded Westminster. He left Princeton when it became liberal and founded Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, his famous last words were, um, uh, so thankful for the active obedience of Christ, no hope without it. Wow. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and people don't think about his life as much as they think about his death. But his death really was meaningless without his life, right? Yeah, so he lived perfectly, and so he could give. When he's on the cross and he says it is accomplished, like all of that is being accomplished. His life is perfect in God's eyes, and you can receive his perfection, his righteousness. But then there's also the sin-bearing part, often called as passive obedience. Peter makes it abundantly clear that sin is actually being punished in Christ, Mm. right? Uh, He himself bore our sins in his body. On the tree. On the tree. And he uses that that word instead of the cross. Mm -hmm. He uses tree to bring us back to Deuteronomy. And cursed, then, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. Yeah, and these passages are all over. I don't know how you don't arrive at a substitutionary mm-hmm. uh, sacrifice, which is propitiatory, right? Which is a appe- which is appeasing God's wrath, making justice. Yeah. Um, I I don't know how you you can't get there using the Bible. There are all kinds of wild things people come up with, but you can't. If you're using the Bible, Jesus actually is bearing sin in his body. Mm-hmm. He's dying, right. not for his sin, he has none. Um, listen just to how Jesus, what he believes about it, because I, I tried to bring that really home. Yeah, What does Jesus think he's doing? Because there are a million people that have these ideas about what Jesus is doing. What does he think he's doing? <laughs> right. And he told you all through John's Gospel what he's, what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. John 10, he says, I'm the Good Shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Yeah. Now, does that sound like death in the place of someone, or does that sound like a pro- I'm providing for you? Right. I'm providing in general. Mm-hmm. I'm dying in general for 
some people I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, he'll make it even more clear in verse 14 in John yeah. 10. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Yeah. That is amazing statement. He knows a people mm-hmm. in the same way he knows the Father. Like, yeah. that's Trinitarian language. And then he says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Yeah. Very explicit. He knows what he's doing. He's dying for a people. Right. And going back to definite atonement, the fact that Christ is not dying for people in general, but for people specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, you you come to it, again, with these presuppositions of free will and um, the idea that God, uh, you know, he's he's just giving a general invitation. He's done all that he can do. Now it's up to you to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't arrive at it, like you said, from the very words of Jesus, his intentions. Mm-hmm. What what are Jesus's stated intentions? Is it just to, to give a general invitation and say, well, I'm doing everything that I can, and now it's up to you to, you know, get up and cross the bridge mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, raise a hand and walk the aisle and, you know, say a prayer? Um, or does he actually save? Mm-hmm. Um, it's in his name. Right. It's in his name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why is he called Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. Yeah. And that's the explanation given by the angel to yeah. his father. Right. This is why you'll name him this. Right, yeah. Because this is what he will do. Yeah. Uh, and Jesus, also, it's important to, to understand everything that he's done in when he dies. In Jesus' mind, he's doing to bring people to glory. Yeah. That's in John six thirty seven through 40. Mm. Now, there is an invitation to for all to come within that passage, but he right. makes it clear that all the Father gives to me will come to me. And then as the passage unfolds, what he says is he's going to raise these people up on the last day. Yeah. So I think Jesus clearly knows. When he says it's accomplished or it is finished, Yeah. he <clears throat> means everything necessary yeah. to bring these people to glory. Yeah. We gotta get we gotta get grammatical here in order to to really bring out the full full meaning of it because Again, we don't want to cast doubt on the English translation, mm-hmm. but tetelestai is in the perfect tense. Mm. It has been accomplished. It has been finished. So it's not it's not as if there here's one part of it that's been finished. Everything from start to finish mm-hmm. is done. Yeah. His his death, again, it it is everything that's needed to accomplish all of the purposes of the new covenant. Yeah. That's right. And yes, that's yes. There, there is that. You must. God's not putting faith in Jesus for you. You have to put faith in Jesus. Right. But the very faith that you're putting in Jesus is a gift of God. That yeah. is one of the benefits of the new covenant that's, that's right. purchased by Jesus's yeah. blood. Yeah. Uh, and so then the question is: when we answered the question, uh, the heart of the Reformation is justification by faith alone. Mm-hmm. But how can there be any? Justification by faith alone, right? Unless Jesus actually did something when he died, right? Unless he accomplished something when he died, yeah. And the, I think the text uh, it's making it abundantly clear, right? Jesus is actually dying to save people, mm. and that's how he understands it, yeah. So he can say it's accomplished, and then he can give up his spirit to the mm. Father. Yeah. Again, I mean the the language here of him giving up his spirit 
it's not of someone who is even passively dying. Mm-hmm. He's the one. Where is it, John? He's it John ten. I I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I lay my I yeah. lay my life down. Yeah, yeah. I give my life. Yes, he's do he's he's doing this, and it's interesting to think he's he's waiting till it's all done. Yeah. How I, we don't I don't know how. Apparently, he knows he's drinking the very last drop of God's wrath right. for all his people. Yeah. Not done yet, right? In his mind, is like like. I, how does it operate? It's mm-hmm. interesting to think about, but he waits until it's all done. Right. And there's a reason why the the Roman soldier is recorded in the other gospels saying, I've never seen anyone die this way before. He does. Like, that's, a, that's an amazing statement. You've got a guy who he probably has seen hundreds, sure. maybe thousands of crucifixions. What's interesting to think about it is the power of the crucifixion. Apparently... A criminal is cussing Jesus out at the beginning. Yeah. Before it's over, he's asking him for mercy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he's converted. Yeah. It's possible that one of the people who crucified him mm-hmm. will also be in heaven because yeah. he said, Surely this man is the Son of God. Right. How does that come across a pagan <laughs> Roman's lips? Right. By watching him die? Like there's something so powerful about the way that he died. Yeah. Isn't that what Jesus said, though, in, in uh, chapter 12, that mm-hmm. that when he's raised up, he'll draw all people to himself? Yeah. There's there's verses all throughout the Old Testament about the standard that God is going to set up, and it's going to draw the nations. There's yeah. there's something about the cross of Christ that is... It has is, an effectual power. Yeah, yeah. It is his own voice going out in the events as they are seen, but then also in every generation that will preach about the cross. This is why any preacher that doesn't pre- that does not preach the crucifixion of Jesus explicitly yeah. is a fool. Right. Because it's the means that God uses to bring people to salvation. Yeah. How else will you? It's effectual in nature. My sheep hear my voice. So when you preach the crucifixion of Christ... It is ir- it becomes irresistible, even to those who would be his bitterest enemies, who have cursed him, yeah. like the criminal. Right. People miss that part. These this criminal is cursing Jesus mm-hmm. later to be in converted within a matter of hours. Yeah. People all over the world have experienced the same thing. Right. I mean, there are people who have woke up in one morning, like George Whitfield. It's one of my favorite conversion stories. Go to heckle George Whitfield. They follow him around, and then they, this man gets up in a bar, and he's mocking George Whitfield, preaching the gospel, and convert. <laughs> he's converted in the middle of a bar. Yeah, converts himself. Converts himself. And then, <laughs> and then he becomes a preacher. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. because of this. Like, when you, when you present Christ mm. crucified... God irresistibly draws all of these people whom Jesus died for. Yeah. It it just highlights the like you said just this stupidity of pastors that get up and do all this gimmicky stuff and tell these stories and jokes and lower the lights and someone's playing, you know, on the keyboard and and right. trying to tug on people's heartstrings. The cross is powerful. Mm-hmm. The cross is going to draw people. All we have to do is preach it and present it. Um, I was reading the 95 Theses yesterday, and one of the final ones is Luther saying, blessed are those who uh, preach cross-cross. 
preach the cross yeah right yeah yeah all right jay that was good that was a good uh that was a good sermon it was uh, a great passage to look at for reformation day it reminds us of um one of those central tenets Mm -hmm. right here uh solus christus right in the middle you can't in the middle you can't even see it Yeah. yeah It's in the middle. You all have to trust us. Oh, it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it says Christ alone right in the middle of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, Solus Christus. We're we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So we just constantly need to be reminded of that, and uh, we need to preach it. Mm-hmm. We need to preach it. And even if you're not a preacher, um, you should be telling people about the cross. That's right. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today for this text-driven Tuesday as we looked at John chapter 19. Hopefully this has been um, informative, but also hopefully it has been beneficial for you. Hopefully it has done exactly what we set out to do to engage your mind, affect your heart, and call you to be more and more conformed to Christ. This is the promise that we're given that uh, everyone who looks upon Christ and believes will be saved. And uh, that's our hope for you. That's our hope for others. If this has been beneficial, please like, subscribe, and share. Uh, Get the word out. Leave us a review. Uh, Give us some comments, some feedback, and uh, we'll see you next time on Conform to Christ.